Well, good morning and a very Merry Christmas season to you. My name is Tom, and it's great to be with you this morning. Well, it's December 16th, and that is very good news, because if you're like me, you still have about four days left before you have to start thinking about Christmas gifts. <laughs> it's true. You can ask my wife, Sarah. She'll tell you I am not the best gift giver. So now it's confession time. Who else still has presents left to get? Yeah. They say it's better to give than to receive, but uh, I have my doubts. (laughs) We love Christmas, don't we? We love Christmas. And we love especially seeing those gifts beneath the tree. Kids in the room and teenagers, I know you guys can relate to this, coming and seeing those presents there beneath the tree and being filled with excitement as you're getting ready to unwrap those boxes and find out what is inside. We love Christmas and we're excited about it. But... I think if we're honest with each other, this Christmas, we're not just looking for a gift beneath the tree. I think this Christmas, we're all looking for something deeper and more lasting, something which you can't put into a cardboard box or cover with paper. I think this Christmas, we're all looking for something which Christmas is supposed to provide, which is peace. I think that's what we're looking for this Christmas, and it couldn't be more fitting Because the good news about Christmas is this, that in Christ Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, God himself has given us peace. And there couldn't be a more fitting pursuit. So today, I want us to see that gift of peace and embrace it and experience it. But here's the catch. Okay, just like any other gift, just like those boxes there beneath the tree, if you want to experience what the gift contains, you have to unwrap it. The gift is going to do you no good if it sits there in the wrapping paper. And the way we unwrap this gift of peace is when we trust in Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to trust in Jesus and unwrap this gift together so that we can experience the beautiful gift of peace this Christmas. It's what we need. And it's peace that we're heading to. And the reason we're heading there together is because anxiety is where we are. You've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Yeah, I want to show you a picture of anxiety. As I was preparing this message, thinking about it, one particular picture came to mind, and it's a painting by Winslow Homer, and it's on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You can go and see this for yourself in New York. And the reason that it came to mind is that I think it's a fitting description of anxiety, and it grips me every time I see it. So I want to show you this picture right now. Here it is. A picture really is worth a thousand words, right? I want to point out four things here in this painting that I think relate to our anxiety. The first is this. Notice this boat being tossed by the stormy seas, and you'll see that its mast has been broken. And the mast, of course, holds up the sails which harness the wind and enable this vessel to be propelled forward. And when you struggle with anxiety, the fears that you have, those questions, those what-ifs, the uncertainties in your life, maybe it's that the market would tumble, or maybe your job is at risk, or maybe it's a test result that you don't want to see, or maybe it's what he or she might post about you online. Whatever those what-ifs are, that cause you to feel anxiety, they can leave you paralyzed, unable 
to take action. And so just like this boat in the painting, you've lost your source of propulsion. That's the first thing. And here's the second. Notice that this vessel's rudder has been ripped off by the storm. It's gone. And you don't have to be an avid sailor, as some of you are, to know that without a rudder, the boat has no way of steering itself in the way it wishes to go. It's directionless. And when you struggle with anxiety, the fears of what's going on out there can make it so that even if you could take action, you wouldn't know which direction to go. And so you feel directionless. The third thing I want you to notice is the sailor himself. He's been strained by the storm. He's desperate for peace. Yet he's imperiled by persistent threats all around him. Notice the wind and the waves. And by the way, the sharks. Ugh. He just had to put sharks in there, right? Like, could it get any worse? But when you struggle with anxiety, the fears and the questions can take away anything which gives you a source of security. And when you don't have that, you have no peace. The fourth thing is this. He is alone. But take a look on the horizon and you see that ship off there in the distance. And you might think for a brief moment that there's a glimmer of hope but then notice his gaze in the opposite direction. It seems to me that there's no possible way these two vessels will see one another, leaving him completely alone to face the perils of the sea. And the storm rages on. And if you are in anxiety, if you struggle with anxiety and you've tried everything, and still it persists, and you have no peace, and you feel just like this sailor, alone and hopeless, then your storm rages on. And I know I don't have to tell us that right now in 2018 in our society, the storm of anxiety rages on. It's what we experience. But what we need to experience as people is deliverance from anxiety into peace. And so to help us see and embrace and, and experience this gift of peace, all through this month of December, we've been looking at one particular text from the Bible. It's from the book of Isaiah. And it's there that we see this beautiful gift of peace unfolded for us. Very quickly, some li a little bit of background about Isaiah. He was a Jewish prophet. He was writing centuries before Jesus' birth. And when we read his text and some of the historical background of the day, we see that the people then were no strangers to anxiety. They dealt with political strife. The threat of, of violence was ever-present. There was also great religious conflict in that time. So we can say with certainty that just as we experience anxiety today, they would have experienced it back then. And so it's in that setting that the prophet Isaiah communicates what God has revealed to him that one day. Amidst all of this anxiety, what he calls their gloom and their anguish, it's like they're living in darkness. It's amidst that very darkness that they have seen a great light, and that light is the beautiful promise of peace. And he reveals it just like this. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's answer to the people, to their fears, and to the risks, and to the uncertainty, to the gloom, and the anguish, and the darkness, is this child. It's a son. And what Christians believe is that this son 
is Jesus. So far in this series, we've seen how Jesus can be called Wonderful Counselor and how when we trust in his wonderful counsel for us, he leads us in his path and in that way we can experience peace. We've also seen how we can experience peace when we believe that he's mighty God and we trust in his everlasting power to deliver us from any enemy. And today we're going to look now at this third name and how, see how Jesus can be called Everlasting Father. And in doing so, in unfolding this truth, we will see and experience his gift of peace. So first, what I'd like to do is look very briefly at this title itself, Everlasting Father, and see what it is Isaiah intends to convey by giving the child this name. And we'll start with the second term, Father. Now, in Isaiah's day, what he would have had in mind as an ideal father is someone who would provide his children with two things, provision and protection. Provision would be for physical things that we all need, things like having enough water, and food, clothing, and shelter, but it wouldn't just be physical, it would also be emotional things. He would provide the children with love and acceptance, and also discipline, so that the children would have a sense of their identity, and of their value, and of their purpose in life. They would know not just who they are, but whose they are. And in this way, the children would have in their father a good provider, but the father wouldn't just be provider, he would also be protector, and he would ensure his children's physical protection from, from all kinds of outside threats and give them the sort of safety that they need to be at peace. And so this image of a benevolent provider and protector is what Isaiah would have had in mind as the ideal father in his day. Now let's look at the first term, which is everlasting. And the meaning of this word is just what we might assume. It means forever. It means something which is everlasting is, is beyond the boundaries of time. Something which is everlasting goes on and on and it never ends. It's everlasting. And this term everlasting is absolutely critical to our understanding of who this child would be for one reason. And I want to share this with gentleness and with grace and with no judgment at all for I myself am a father of two. I want to share this. This is the reason why everlasting is so critical to understanding who the child would be. And it's that fathers are not everlasting. Fathers fail. Fathers leave. Fathers can wound. And even the very best father on earth will one day pass away. Not a single one could ever be called everlasting. And so it's for this reason why this term is so critical. It's because this promised son and his provision and protection for his children will never end. He will be an everlasting father. And it's because of this that his children don't ever have to fear that he will leave or that he will fail or that he will wound or that he will pass away. He won't because his everlasting provision and protection will be forever. And that gives peace. So that is exactly why we can say with confidence that Christ Jesus is Isaiah's promised son. It's because just like an everlasting father, Jesus provides for and protects his children whom he dearly loves. Think about Jesus' life with me for a minute, just a minute, and what he provides. He provided healing for the sick. He provided sight for the blind, food for the hungry, Ability to the disabled. 
He provided love to the lonely and acceptance to the outcast. He provided forgiveness to the sinner and grace to the guilty. Take a look at Jesus' life, and these are some of the things you will discover about him. Please take some time to read about his life in the four Gospels. It would be so good for you to do that. This morning, we can't do that together. It would take hours, if not days. But what we will do is we'll look at just one story together, which I think so beautifully illustrates this, beautifully illustrates how he provides for and protects his children, leading them from anxiety into peace. And it's the story of Jesus calming a storm. Look with me now at Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he, and that's Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, the other side here refers to the Sea of Galilee, which is in the region where Jesus had been teaching with his disciples. So he's finished his teaching for that day, and so he says to them, okay, let's cross over to the other side of this sea. And in verse 36 And leaving the crowd behind, they, that's the disciples, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. I want you to imagine being in this boat for a second. Maybe think back to that painting if it would help you. Imagine yourself being there. The wind is howling. The waves are raging. They're coming up now over the side of the boat into where it is you're sitting, and you're afraid. I think there are few scenes as treacherous as that. Except maybe add some sharks in there, but it's bad. Take a look at verse 38. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. What? Who is this guy? Like, the disciples are here, fearing for their lives. They're being tossed around by this storm. They're thinking they're going to die. And here's Jesus, asleep on some cushion. Like, what? Who is this? And what is he doing? But listen for a second. Have you ever felt in the midst of your own anxiety? that maybe Jesus has figuratively fallen asleep on you? Have you ever felt like he's not there anymore? Like maybe he's left you. Maybe you're there to face whatever it is you're facing alone. If you've ever felt like that, you are not alone. Because right here, this is exactly how the disciples feel. This is their moment of greatest need. They need Jesus' help, and he's there asleep on the cushion. It probably feels like he has abandoned them too. So if you're there, or if you've ever been there, what I want to do now is I want to show you the disciples' steps, what they do, and I want you to let them teach you, because there's four things that we can learn from this passage about facing anxiety, and this is the first thing they do. Continuing in verse 38, and they woke him up. The first thing they did is they remembered that Jesus was with them. Even though the wind and the waves and the sea was raging, and there was chaos all around them, and they were afraid, Jesus was with them. 
their teacher, the man whom they had seen teach with an authority unlike any other man. But not only that, he had also performed miracles, which they themselves had witnessed. They'd seen his power. This man was not away from them. He was with them right there in the storm. And so this is the first thing for you. If you're in that storm, remember Jesus is with you. It may not feel like it. The storm may be raging in your own life, but you are not alone and you don't have to fear because Jesus promises his followers to be with them forever. That's the first thing. You're not alone. Let's see what they do next. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And the second thing they did is they spoke to Jesus. Now, we might read this and see sarcasm in it. Don't you care if we die? But we have to remember this is said in absolute desperation. They're fearing for their lives. This is not sarcasm. This is their way of saying, Jesus, do something. Help us. Rescue us. And if you're there in that place of anxiety, then this is the second thing for you. Ask Jesus to rescue you. In your heart, Pray to Jesus today even and say, Jesus, I'm struggling. I'm afraid. I'm gripped by this anxiety and it's killing me. It's robbing me of all peace. Please come and rescue me from this. Please give me your peace. And if you are in that place of anxiety today, then this is exactly what you should do. And I'll tell you why you should do it. I'll tell you why this is the truth. Please hear this. The truth is, our anxiety comes when we make the mistake of believing that we are solely responsible for our own provision and protection. Let me say that again. The truth is that our anxiety comes when we make the mistake of believing that we are solely responsible for our own provision and protection. When we believe that, and we go to all kinds of other things to give us some kind of relief, but they never work, as long as we keep believing that, our anxiety will persist. But when you go to Jesus in prayer and ask him and ask his help for deliverance, and this is the third thing for us today, trust that he hears us. He will answer. Ask him to rescue you and trust that he hears you. Remember, friends, Jesus is an everlasting father whose care and love and provision for, and protection for his children never ends. Parents, there's a lot of you here, right? A lot of parents in the room. You love your children, if they come to you and ask you for help, you're not going to ignore them. You're not going to not listen. No, you love them. You want to help them. Some of you will recognize this as Jesus' uh, conversation with some parents. And he says to them, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? That's ridiculous. If your kid asks for bread, you're never going to give him a rock. If they ask you for some fish, you're never going to give them a snake. It's dangerous. Why would you do that? It's, it's, it would be like, those of you with young kids, it would be like your kids coming to you and saying, Mom and Dad, I would really love some steamed vegetables. And you're like, no, eat your French fries. You would never do that. <laughs> Jesus says, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask him. So we can trust that when we cry out to Jesus in prayer and ask him to rescue us, he hears us. So remember Jesus is with you. Ask him to rescue you. Trust that he hears you. And then this is the fourth thing. Believe in his power to save you. 
Take a look at verse 39. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. To be delivered from anxiety into peace, we must trust and believe in our hearts that Jesus has the power to do it, to give us that peace. And I think we can, in fact, believe and trust in that very thing, his power to rescue us, because of the answer to this question that the disciples have just asked. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And listen, this might be the most important question you ever ask. If you're here today and you don't have an answer, or maybe you're not sure what answer you'd give, or even if you do have an answer, you're not so sure you believe it, then please, please, let me encourage this. Let me encourage you and let this be a challenge to you. Please answer this question and don't stop until you do. I believe in my heart this is the most important question you'll ever ask. Who is this? Who is Jesus? And the disciples ask it here because they're not sure. They don't know. At this point, Jesus hadn't yet revealed his full identity to his disciples, so they weren't sure. But they can see his power and they can say, surely this is no ordinary man. And so they ask the question, who is this? Well, the good news for us is that later on, he would tell them. He would reveal to them who he truly was. And we're going to look at that conversation now in John chapter 14. And in this conversation, Jesus explains to his disciples that his time with them is coming to an end. He's going to leave. He's going to go back to his father in heaven. He's going to prepare a place for them. But not to worry, because he's coming back. And he will come back and take them with him. And so what he says next, he says because they've been with him for a long time. They've seen his teaching. He says to them, you know the way to the place where I am going. And one of the disciples, Thomas, is like, "Uh, Lord, we don't know the way. How can we know the way? And then what Jesus says in response to this question is absolutely revolutionary. It shakes the foundations of every world religion, of every philosophy, of every human attempt to understand and make sense of what all of this is about. It's revolutionary. This is what he says in response to that question. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the Father. Excuse me, I am the way to the Father. He says, if you're looking for another way to God, you're not going to find it. And then he keeps going. And he says in verse 7, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This might seem crazy. Some of the disciples didn't get it. Philip 
One of the followers of Jesus, he asked. He's just not getting it. He says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Just show him to us and that will be enough for us. You can almost hear Jesus saying, Oh, Philip, haven't you seen my provision for you? Haven't you seen my protection for you? Haven't you seen my love and care for you? Haven't you seen my power to save you? Philip, haven't you seen who I am? And here's what he says, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. I want to recap just a little bit because he has just said some absolutely remarkable things. He said, if you know me, you will know my father also. He said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then he said, whoever has seen me has seen the father. And then he said, I am in the father and the father is in me. Do you see it? what Christians believe about Jesus, who he really is, the answer to this essential question is that Jesus was not just a man. He was not just the baby boy born in the manger at Christmas time. No, he was in fact Emmanuel, which means God is with us, as we've just sung. He is, as Paul would later write in his letter to the Colossians, the image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. As John would put it, he is the word who was with God and who was God. He was in the beginning with God and he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is God the Son, God incarnate. God in the flesh. And this is why we can believe in Jesus' power to save us. It's because he shows us who the Father truly is. And his provision and his protection for his children, whom he dearly loves, will never end. And if that is not enough of a description for us, not to worry, because Jesus actually shows us exactly how far he is willing to go to provide for and to protect his children. You see, not long after this conversation with his followers, in which he showed them who he truly was, he would then show them exactly how far he was willing to go for them. One morning, as people watched, Jesus ascended an ominous hill. And he went up that hill for one purpose. He went there to die. And imagine being one of Jesus' disciples that day and seeing your teacher and your master, and your Lord, whom you love, the one who you thought was going to provide for you and protect you, how can he do that if he's dead? And here he is going up this hill to be crucified. It would have seemed like a crushing defeat. But thankfully, the story does not stop there. As the story unfolds with his death, it was not a defeat, but in fact, the greatest 
victory. And you see, the, the, the truth is that the same reason Jesus ascended that hill to die is the very same reason that he descended from on high to earth. This was his mission. And here it is. It's because in his death, Jesus provided something that no one can provide for himself or herself. Jesus provided peace. And he provided it in, a, in many different ways. Here they are. He provided peace with God by his mercy and grace through the forgiveness of sin. He provided peace with each other by calling us to be united as one family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. He provided us with peace with ourselves by taking away all guilt and all shame and making us brand new creations. You're brand new. He provided peace in this life because God has placed his own spirit inside us. So we know that no matter what happens, even if we're in that anxiety right now, we are not alone. God is with us. And then he provided peace with what lies beyond because in his death, Jesus then came out of the grave, conquering death in his resurrection so we can know that even though we die, we will live on and be in the very presence of God forever in eternity. And that is peace. That is peace. And this is the provision and protection of Jesus Christ the Lord. This is how he shows us how far, as everlasting Father, he is willing to go for us. Trust in Jesus, and he provides peace. So I want us to think back to that boat one last time this morning, because if you're in that boat right now, and you are experiencing no peace because of your worry, or your anxiety, or your fear, or your sin, or your shame, or whatever it is, whatever the gloom and anguish and darkness that you're in right now is, which is robbing you of peace, Jesus' gift of peace is for you. It's for you. So I want to put up those four steps the disciples took one last time so we can see them together. The first is remember Jesus is with you. You are never alone. The second is ask him to rescue you. Pray to him, maybe today. Lord Jesus, I know I can't save myself. I need your help. Please rescue me. Then trust that he hears you. Remember, he has, like a good parent listening to a children, he has heard what you've said. And then believe in Jesus' power to save you. In your heart, trust that he went to the cross for you. In Jesus, we truly do have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Trust in his everlasting provision and protection for you this Christmas, and you will experience peace. Let's pray together. God, first and foremost, we want to just thank you. We want to thank you for who you are. We want to give you our praise. We want to give you glory. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship. Lord, I pray that wherever we are and whatever anxiety we face, that you would help us trust in Jesus' everlasting provision and protection for us to open this gift of peace and to experience it in a new way this Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would remove any barrier, 
which holds us back from believing in that and trusting it to be true for us. Help us believe, Jesus, that you came for us. We thank you, God. We thank you for this gift of peace. And we give you all the praise and glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.